0: Hello, and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Sixto Cancel. Sixto is the Chief Executive Officer at Think of Us, an organization based in New York City. Well, welcome, Sixto. Thanks so much for joining our podcast series and being with us today. How are you doing? You know,
1: Lynn, I'm doing well. It's a pretty great day today.
0: It is. It really is. Well, I am looking forward to learning about you and your organization. To get started, if you would, please, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how is it that you're connected with the foster care system?
1: Absolutely. The way I come to the work, it really started off um, with my passion for foster care because of my own experiences in the actual system. When i came into foster care i was just an 11 month old baby right and i stood in in the system it's very different for me in terms of um, my first removal experience was actually being removed from a foster home to go back to my biological mother where other people kind of remember that their journey being you know living with their bio family and then being removed Mm -hmm. so i was placed with my biological mother and then i was put back into the system a year later, adopted at the age of nine, and it was a very racist and abusive adoption. And so by the age of 13, I found myself couch surfing. I found myself having to figure out how to make reports of the hotline. And it took me having to really journal, gather evidence, tape a tape recorder to my chest multiple times to really just get the evidence for the courts and for um, the social workers I was dealing with to be able to get back into foster care. And that was at 15. So it took me two years. Once I was in foster care for, for a while there, I, I then you know ended up graduating high school. But on that journey of high school is when I actually got to be part of the youth board. And Lynn, let me tell you, this was the moment where I started to really find myself and my voice and really being able to advocate for the things that were just wrong. And that led to my passion around how I started to do a lot of advocacy work. And today, a little bit around how that advocacy has turned into implementing solutions and so forth.
0: Wow. That is quite an experience that you've had in and out of the system. Now that you said you were part of a youth board in high school, what youth board was that that you were able to get hooked up with?
1: So Jim Casey Youth Opportunity Initiative, right? is part of the Annie Casey Foundation, an initiative around how is it that they transform the life outcomes of, uh, improve the life outcomes of young people who age out of the system. And so in 17 states, back in 2001, they started, but in 17 states, they have youth boards and they have these sites. And so a part of the city that I lived in had a youth board. And so we got to participate in advocating to the system about what are some of the things that are going well? What are some of the things that need to be improved?
0: And was that in New York?
1: No. So I grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Mm, Okay. But I'll tell you a funny story here. I grew up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is about 60 miles outside of New York City where I live now. And one of the things that happened when I was 14 is that I got in connection with my biological father. Um, And I wasn't able to meet him, but I was able to speak to him. And he introduced me to my sister um, who happened to live in New York City. Oh. And so I came and visit her once, but because of the system kind of moving from this place to that place, I wasn't able to really build a bond with them. But one of the craziest things happened to me two years ago, which is my sister calls me. I'm living in New York now, and she says, Hey, listen, there's a family reunion. And you know, there's a good portion of us who have been in foster care who like family reunion is like the, the dream. And so I go to this family reunion and let me tell you, Lynn, It is like that kind of movie scene where you walk in and people look like you for the first time. You can see people having the same type of mannerisms of talking a lot, being very expressive. And I could tell this was people who were related to me, right? But in the middle of this, something just stopped me in my tracks because I was was looking around. I see this sibling set of Mexican children running around. I see a sibling set of Chinese children running around. And so then I asked the question, like, oh, who who are these children? And they're like, oh, they're our little cousins. They're a little cousin." So no one's giving me a straight answer. And then by the end of the um, family union, what I realized is that I have five of my aunts and uncles who are foster parents or adoptive parents, and that they were taken in sibling sets. And that my father's side of the family, that their way of giving back is not through being able to provide donations or resources at that level, but there's this culture of fostering and adopting sibling sets on my father's side of the family. So here I was 58 miles away, Hmm. living in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and because of some of the system's broken processes, we didn't explore a family that was 58 miles away who have, who have been foster parents for over 35 years. That's older than I am.
0: Yeah, that struck me too. Why didn't you go in with them? Oh my goodness.
1: One of the things that I believe is so broken about our system is the fact that when we look at young people and we look at the adults that are in their lives, as a system we prioritize those relationships that are potential placements. And so because my sister was a thread who immediately told Child Welfare, I can't take him in, they, they never talked to her again. And so if they would have talked to her and asked her a couple more questions, we would have unpacked, well, there's literally five aunts and uncles who live down the street who might take him in or is able to take him in because they are foster adoptive parents.
0: Yeah right? That exploration is not done.
1: Right. And I know there are efforts today to do a bit of that exploration, but this culture of placement culture, right, is what actually I believe is driving the lack of attention towards family. We don't know what someone's journey is when we engage them, and they may say no today, but that might be a whole different place in a month and a half.
0: Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. It reminded me of, I mean, my own story, which is- We were in foster care in North Carolina. We ended up with our grandmother, which is a typical, you know, can a grandparent take care of these children? So we went in with our grandmother. She really couldn't handle two teenagers. But my uncle was the one that got the system to connect us with relatives from his wife's family who were in the foster care system as foster parents. So He was, I don't think the system would have done that exploration for us either. My uncle had to step in and make that connection. So he made it happen that we were able to go in and live with them in Pennsylvania.
1: And this is why I say to myself, there are pieces of this system that are so broken, so inequitable, and truly are not rooted in that philosophy and in that mental model of family, right? Of prioritizing what's in the best interest of that young person. So one of the things that we do at Think of Us is we focus on that system transformation. How is it that we rethink the way that the system is currently operating? And we take a very different approach because what we realize is that there's always all of these different initiatives being announced. We realize that there's a lot of advocates who come to the table and like do the advocacy to lift up an issue. And those are all critical pieces. And when we saw a gap was, What's the way that you pull everyone together, the people with the lived experience, the people who are working in the system, the frontline staff, the bio parents, the foster parents, and how do you actually co-create some of those solutions so that that way you can be able to have the outcome you want? So, for example during this pandemic, there was one county that we were working with, and they were very bothered because they were placing young people who were COVID positive or COVID exposed in a hospital because there wasn't a placement. Not because they were that sick, but because they literally did not have a place. And it was lockdown, right? Like you couldn't leave your room because of COVID. So your first experience is that you are coming into the foster care system because you've been neglected or you've been abused or you or your parents aren't able to take care of you and your first experience is spending about a month and a half in a you know small hospital room until the system can find a place so this county reached out to us and they said look you know this is what's going on for us and we're spending $3000 a day and you know it's a lot of money we don't it's a lot of trauma that's happening to our young people So instead of us launching kind of the advocacy traditional campaign of like we used to do and think of us as, I like to say, 1.0, what we did was we said, how about we design an alternative? So what we were able to do was say, okay, let's find some Airbnb apartments. We found the Airbnb apartments. Then we designed an experience with young people, with people who've been COVID positive and with staff. We were able to design from how the young person gets picked up gets dropped off at a very nice Airbnb that has the right floor plan, that it's long enough to have the kitchen and dining room connected so that a young person can sit on one end and not have to stay in their room, but yet staff can still be in that kitchen area and there's some type of human interaction. It's not working. We had this 12-year-old come in because grandma had died due to COVID. And then mom kidnapped a young girl, right? And then she finally turned herself in, and so that 12-year-old comes in, and it's her first time coming into foster care, and she went to the Airbnb quarantine program that we developed here. And while she was there, one of the things that we were so insistent on was the importance of being connected, even in this moment, to the human beings you have, right? So people need foster care with less relationships than they enter in sometimes, And so we were like, hey, let's make sure there's a laptop, let's make sure there's a phone, let's make sure that there's this ability for a young person to be in constant communication with the adults and families and friends that they have beforehand. So long story short, this young person is in, in this Airbnb for a couple of weeks and they're looking for placement. And while she's here, she's been talking to uncle. And so now she's actually placed with uncle. And I think that when we work in these systems, we are so gun holed about the placement and we ask people in the beginning, can you take in your niece? Can you take in your grandchild? Can you take in this young person? That the immediate reaction might be no because grandma just died. Mom is having now a police case involved and abducted. It's a lot to handle. But those couple of weeks and this just one practice change of allowing this young person to be in communication with the people in our life without having to actually get a court order to approve the names that young person should be talking to, allowed for this very special connection to be formed. And now that young person is with their actual family member.
0: Right. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. I really am. I'd like to come back around to that. Airbnb program that you pulled together a little bit later, but I'd like to ask, let's take the conversation over to the work of helping young people foster youth prepare for independence and aging out of the system. What is the mission of Think of Us and how is it that you support young people when they're at that stage in life?
1: So our mission is to transform the life outcomes of young people. And the way that we do that is by transforming the system itself, right? By leveraging technology, leveraging the lived experience of folks working in it and folks experiencing the problem, and leveraging design. And so what this has looked like for us is looking at what are the structural things that keep the problem in place? What are the ways, the kind of stories that are driving behavior? If you believe that young people have to earn the best case management or that young people should simply pull themselves up by the bootstrap, and that is kind of how you approach the work, you're going to get one type of result. If you believe like, hey, we should do everything for a young person and do everything that we can possibly do for them, and that's going to give you another type of result. And I'm giving you the extremes here because... Sometimes that's how these different systems have operated with certain mental models. But there's other opportunities here where we look at the different ways that we approach to work by saying, okay, what are the experiences that young people need in order to develop certain skill sets and mindsets? How does the system actually structure that and provide that to them? What is the healing that needs to be happening during this time that young people need to go through? Because during adolescence, it is our time. To actually develop some of these skills, right? So while many people expect us to say, "Okay, you need to follow through, you need to check off your checklist, you need to do all of these things," we have to remember that adolescents are actually wired to be learning that type of skill during their during that 14 and up age. And so, how might the system provide grace? How might the system provide intentional coaching uh, moments? So. What we've been doing is redesigning how is it that young people can work with their direct staff by leveraging the Think of Us app, an application that we are in our fourth iteration of and prototyping where young people could work with their supportive adults in their life that are paid and unpaid to accomplish some of their goals, right? The thing that makes us different is that we're looking at how the staff is approaching the situation. Instead of the staff writing the goals first, And doing their risk assessment first, we're allowing young people to actually say, here's what I need and want. Here's what I see in my life that I think I need. And then here are the goals that I have right now. So allowing youth to be at the center of their actual transition out of the system.
0: And how is it that they use an app for that process? Of course, there are a lot of programs where adults are assisting young people with this. But what does the app do specifically that's unique?
1: You know, I always say this. That I'm the tech person who's going to tell you that the tech is not the actual change agent. And the tech is the last thing. It's the least important thing. But it's the engagement hook. It's the thing that also helps the young person solidify some of their thoughts. So when a young person logs into our platform, they're able to see a list of goals that might be relevant to them. And then they're able to click on the goals that they feel like they can commit to, that they feel ready to commit to. And then those goals get communicated to the people in their life. So instead of having a social worker pick one goal, and then you're in an education program and they pick another goal. And then you're in an employment program and they pick another goal. Imagine having one set of goals, one set of things that you want to work on. And then everybody else knows that. And then everybody else works on that with you. Right now, the way it works is that because things are paper-based, to no fault of anyone, but this is the system that we inherited, the way that the system is designed, you have a risk assessment, you have these assessments done, and then goals are determined on that. And we go through a process that almost feels like an informed consent process for a young person, but we never really truly designed the table for a young person to truly be empowered to say, I want to do this. And I'll give you a quick example. When I was in high school, my social worker in the system was encouraging me to think through going to community college first for two years and then going to a four-year university. And the argument here was that I could graduate debt-free, that I could stay in the foster home that I was in, that I could continue to afford the, you know the living that I had. And that's just not what I wanted. I had grew up in the hood all my life, and I wanted, one, to just be in a very different place. That was one. Secondly, I wanted to go straight to a four-year university because I wanted to live on my own. I wanted to be able to focus deeply on it because I already knew that I came from a family school system. So the level of work I was going to have to do to be able to write and to be able to keep up with my academics was completely different. And I didn't feel like my foster home would be the best place for that. I ended up actually driving from Connecticut, Bridgeport, Connecticut, all the way down to Atlanta, started orientation at Morehouse, realized that it was not the place for me, then drove to Virginia on my way back, signed myself up for VCU because I got in there, Virginia Commonwealth University, and signed a lease and came back to the system and said, by the way, I left the state without permission, and this is the school I'm going to, and here's where I'm going to be living. And not every young person is sometimes equipped with the ability to do that. But it was my experience as having to advocate so much early on for what was right for me that I knew that accepting this two-year community college would probably end up me not being able to complete any type of college.
0: Right. The work that you're doing with the app requires adults to participate. And I know you mentioned staff. What does your organization structure look like? Who have you engaged to work with and support these young people?
1: Absolutely. So, we're creating the kind of tools and the practice based on this human centered design approach where we're working with the needs of the youth, the needs of their supportive adults, and the needs of staff, right? And so It's not that we are the direct service providers, but we're systems entrepreneurs, we're system designers. We're going in and saying, how do we create this program a little bit different? How do we interview enough people and understand, okay, this is the thing that folks are scared of, or this is the thing that is blocking people from being able to take action. And then we design some some new behaviors that people should take on, new practices that people should do to make that happen. So a lot of our work is actually less about the tech, like literally less than 10% tech. And it's more about humans. It's about this idea of how do you as a human being show up and support someone who's having so much anxiety about doing that application? It's the idea that, you know what, there's some space that needs to be provided for this young person to feel the pain that they're feeling, realizing that, you know what, they're aging out. And now they know that wish for a family that they had Before turning 18, that ship has come and it sailed for the the moment of before 18. Obviously, family is a lifelong journey and we can continue to build family. But there are some really concrete things that the system is just not wired to support and do because systems are cruel and the people are kind, right? But the system can't love you. And what young people need more than anything is family, someone to radically love them for who they are, and be on that journey with them to develop them. Right. Just like any other young person who may be in a different situation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that all makes total sense to me. What I'm trying to, to still wrap my head around is, do you have an organization with staff and youth that you work directly with in New York City? Or are you trying to solve problems, like you're saying, transform the system and help other organizations be able to apply those solutions?
1: Thank you for that, Lynn. Uh, so we specialize in actually working with organizations and agencies for them to adopt different models. We work with a group of youth as designers, but it is mainly that we work with the agencies to do that on the ground work. I think that the most important thing, you know, that we have in our communities are the people who have relationship within their communities. And so national organizations like us, I feel like should be in service to those folks who are on the front line doing the hard work every day. And how might we create frameworks, practices or tools that actually enable folks to be able to do not just the task easier, but to free up their time so that they can do what they do best, which is to be in relationship because those relationships and connections are what actually caused the transformation in young people's lives.
0: And how long has, think of us, been in existence?
1: So we've been around around five years now. Okay. Started in college, um, headquartered in Richmond, Virginia first, and had a whole crew of 15 people. We did work between California, we, Nebraska. We did a lot of work with the Obama administration. And, and we moved our headquarters to New York City based on all of the learning lessons that we were acquiring to build a, a new team. And now we're doing work in California, in Washington, we're starting to span into New Mexico, and we're doing work with the Trump administration now, too.
0: Wonderful. So you partner with other agencies and organizations. Absolutely. And can any organization contact you and say, hey, we'd love to partner with you? Or is it really a, a partnership that you are expanding as you are able?
1: We definitely partner with folks who come to us. We do our deepest work in certain parts of the country um, where we're doing the full-fledged initiatives to transform a system. But we do have different kind of innovation partners where we're testing out this idea of the Airbnb program that is a new way of approaching quarantine. Or the idea right now that we're testing in some other spots is this idea of having a peer navigator, someone who has had the lived experience in foster care And right now, as the pandemic hits, people need support achieving their basic needs. So sometimes the barrier is literally the anxiety to fill out the application that's 20 pages long. So literally, we found that having a young person that we hire and train and have them get on the phone with another young person who's in need to do an application for housing, for their food stamps, and just write as they speak has been very supportive to them. We typically don't do as much direct service, but in this pandemic, part of our COVID response has been to support folks in that medium.
0: Right, right, sure. Well, you know, the Airbnb program that you've pulled together, very creative. I love it, and I want to hear more about it. But I did want to just say that it's an idea that we had as well, but really geared more toward say foster youth who are in college and they don't have a place to go on breaks or over the summer, right? Is there some kind of Airbnb type of program that could be started to help young people have a place to stay if they're not allowed to stay on campus? More and more colleges are allowing that, which is fantastic. But for those that are facing, you know, living in a car over break or over summer, is there something like an Airbnb type of program? But also A young person who's aging out of the system and maybe they haven't quite landed an apartment yet. Is there some program that could kind of fill that gap for them? And I see some other applications there beyond COVID.
1: I absolutely see other applications here beyond COVID. And my hope is that we would be able to continue to expand the use cases of how we might do this work at the end of the day, a lot of the conversation gets caught up in resources. And what I always like to encourage folks to first think about is what is the experience that we want our young people to have first and that they deserve? And then how do we figure out how that gets funded? And so my hope is that we would be able to successfully expand what that program might look like.
0: Right. Oh, that would be wonderful. As we're in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, I have been asking every organization, how have you been handling and managing this crisis and helping your youth through it? Do you have youth who are participating in this Airbnb concept and how has it been working? What kind of results have you been hearing about from that? I imagine there might be a lot of people listening who are really intrigued by this idea and wondering if it's something they could try as well.
1: Absolutely. So one of the things that we did in the beginning of the pandemic, in the first week of shutdowns, we hosted a federal town hall with the Federal Associate Commissioner, Commissioner Jerry Milner. And we got all these responses from all over the country, all 50 states and territories, Guam, Puerto Rico, you name it, right? And we asked people what were their needs. And then we used software to categorize what their needs were. And then based on the software, it developed the questions based on strictly the like how many people, how many times people mentioned food, how many times people mentioned housing, right? So we didn't want to have selection bias come into play. So we, we just did it based on the numbers. In that, we realized that housing and food were top needs, but also this need to get support on how to navigate these situations. So we started what we call the Child Welfare COVID Command Center, which is a set of playbooks, This idea of how do you make decisions about going back to school? You know, if you find yourself in a situation where you're unable to afford rent, what are the six or seven different steps that you might be able to take to be able to navigate that situation? And then we put the resources in context, right? So if you're going down this part of the decision tree, you might want to hit these resources. If you're going left on this decision tree, you might want to engage these resources. Because resource lists wasn't enough for us. People needed that guidance of like how to leverage the combination of different resources. So that's how we were able to support. And so some of the young people have actually been able to use this content that is providing some level of coaching and rent an Airbnb. A young woman who is 18, who um, was in San Francisco State, was at the doctor's, right? And she's having these seizures. So she needed a safe place to stay. So the school shuts down she goes to family in Mexico. And when she gets there, you know, it's not even two weeks and then the border is shutting down. And so her social worker is like, hey, you need to come back. And so she comes back, but her return back to the United States was couch surfing from friends to friends house, sleeping on, you know, an abusive boyfriend's floor. And so, you know, we were able to help her identify a job and we were able to help with the initial funding for an Airbnb. And now she's working during the pandemic. She's living at the Airbnb and she has what she needs. And when we were coaching her, we had to like, it was simple things like just not picking any Airbnb, right? Like when you look at the content that we produce, it's about picking a place you can work, picking a place that's near enough to food, near enough to your doctors, near enough to transportation. And so with that, she was able to pick the right place for herself and has been thriving since. So if you go to the thinkof and, and click on the command center button on the homepage, you can explore this type of content that has been helping people navigate through it. We've also done the same for agencies, helping agencies navigate some of the decisions that they have to make. Awesome.
0: Well, that sounds like a fantastic resource. So I hope people go there and check it out. But quick question about the Airbnb. Now these are houses or homes that people are basically renting out. Are there folks living there or is it available and not occupied when the young people would be going there?
1: So it's been my position and I feel very strongly about this, which is not to rent a room from an Airbnb for a young person. Our young people have traditionally been targeted to be sexually abused.
0: Yeah, that would be my concern is you'd have to have background checks and you'd have to have training almost.
1: Well, and then Airbnb, remember, is not a program, it's a service. Right. We're leveraging the services that are out there. Our guidance and the way we've seen this play out in a way that works and has been healthy and thank God things have been smooth on the end. It's been that young person rents out the entire apartment. And even I had to figure that piece out and did that because I was in L.A. during the beginning of the pandemic and I have some sensitive health issues. So when things were starting in the beginning of March, I said I knew that I had to buckle down. So I actually spent three months living in an Airbnb that I had rented out to be able to make sure that, you know, I kept myself safe during the outbreak when we were very unsure about what was going on.
0: Yeah, I can absolutely see an opportunity for maybe formalizing a process and supports for young people aging out of the system. If they don't have a transitional living organization near them or one that they've been able to get into, that there might be a service that could be designed, maybe even national, that they could utilize and take advantage of this Airbnb concept in order to bridge to living on their own.
1: I think it would be phenomenal. Here's what I say about Airbnbs. I love some of the hosts that you you know will have. It's a service. It's treating young people like gold. It's not. It's not about hey, here is the safety net program. It's about here is a service that we provide to you based on you, you renting this place, and here's what you know what we've done with our home. But there's so much doubt and worry about like young people living in an Airbnb by themselves. And what I always have to remind folks is that in all of our experimentation, we've never had a young person who has damaged up an apartment or any of the stereotypes that I, I typically see, You know, typically hear. Our young people want just a place to live, right? They want a safe place to be at, and they're so grateful when they're able to get that.
0: What I have found, or what I've heard from landlords, is when you have young people renting, the biggest challenges are just not having the life skills to know what to do to keep up with certain maintenance, or you know how to handle a clogged drain. You know that kind of just life skills stuff.
1: Absolutely, and that I would say is still is the representation of again a system that just wasn't designed for adolescents. It was not designed for young people. Our systems are putting the responsibility of life skills into a program, right? When you look at the responsibilities of a foster parent in many counties and in many states, we still haven't explicitly said that you are responsible for this young person being ready for adulthood. But yet we expect that from parents, all the other parents.
0: Yep. Yep. And I've said this to other folks in other interviews is, it really, a lot of it depends on how a system measures and tracks what's happening in their programming. So, right, if you're measuring and tracking, do they have a roof over their head and do they have food to eat? Check, check. All right. They don't seem to be terribly in danger. They're, they're, they seem safe. Check. And don't do any more than that. Then there's no incentive or expectation to ensure that the young people have the life skills that they need to move on to adulthood.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: So that's a bigger picture system issue of changing what you're measuring and what your expectations are.
1: I I couldn't agree more. One of the things that really has bothered me more and more lately is that when we look at how programs are funded, we have put these indicators on them. But some of these indicators are actually not a representation of what is the actual outcome that we want to see. So I'm so excited about the Family Birth Act and its potential for prevention services. But for some counties and for some systems, they only are talking about the reduction of families coming into care. But that doesn't actually indicate that families are better off. And so for me, What I would like to encourage for folks to do is that when we look at these indicators of what we want to see for our our young people and our families, is how do we track how we're radically supporting them? How do we make sure that it's not just about the compliance of a mandate from a court for the families or the compliance of a program for a young person, but that we're looking at them and saying, what do you need for us to radically reach this new level of healing? in your life? What do you need to radically reach this new level of having different mindsets and different skill sets than when we first engage with you? When we have a person who's engaged with the system and the system has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars supporting them and their skill sets and their mindsets and their level of trauma is not significantly in a better place, then we have failed and we have failed big.
0: Right. I agree. Well, unfortunately, I think we're coming up to uh, the close to the end of our time together. So I want to give you an opportunity. You've already mentioned the website address, but if you could share that again, if, if folks wanted to get in touch with you, Sixto, about your program, maybe about donating, if you accept donations, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: The best way for folks to get in touch with us right now is to reach out to info at thinkof-us.org. That's info at dot org. You can visit our website at thinkof-us.org. And feel free to reach, us, reach out to us on any of those mediums.
0: Wonderful. And do you accept donations?
1: We sure do. We accept donations and we also... um. Some folks like to fund our systems transformation work, and some folks like to fund our young people directly, and we have mediums for people to do both.
0: Fantastic. Thanks very much. Now, I think what I'd like to ask to wrap up is a new question I just started asking in the interviews. So what is it that you love most about Think of Us?
1: The co-designing of solutions. I think that when I started my journey as a young person doing advocacy in this space, it was always about showing up and you know making your point, making your point. And what I realized is that the system is something that every single one of us has inherited. Every single one of us have inherited this system that was flawed by design. Like it's just not the system that's here to help people heal, develop, and support in the way that they need. And so to be able to partner with people from across the aisles people who have different views and come together to say, how might we design a new way forward? That is the inspiration. That is the thing that has been working for us. And I think that is what our country needs most. It's this radical commitment to people, healing, radical commitment to people developing and having an opportunity to thrive and being able to bring our different perspective, no matter what those ideologies are, how you can bring them to the table in efforts to reach that goal.
0: Absolutely. Now, is there a way for the average person to help contribute to brainstorming solutions with your organization?
1: So we have had um, different events where what we call hackathons, where people come. It's like this mini, mini design kind of sprint time that we spend together. We stay up all night, stay up all day, and then we present some, either it can be a tech product, it can be a new pathway. It could even just be a video that is scripted really well so that young people could understand like, you know, how they're giving consent, let's just say, to a research process. So there are ways that we can engage folks. If they email us at info at thinkof-us.org, we could potentially scope something that would work for them.
0: That's fantastic. I appreciate that information. I just think that there are so many organizations, and it seems like more and more are cropping up. And our focus, of course, is aging out of care. So many organizations being started around the country and around the world, really. Of course, these the challenges that young people in foster care face in the United States are practically identical to the challenges that they're facing in other countries as well. But these organizations are cropping up in in towns and cities, and they're wanting to do wonderful things. And I'm just excited and motivated by the energy and the caring that's out there. I think what we need to somehow do is harness <laughs> all the ideas and, the, and that energy and that motivation to make change on, as you're saying, on a systemic level. So I, that's something that we're thinking about. Is there some way to start a national forum to try to start solving these problems? Um, I think you have begun from the technology perspective, how that can be done, and uh, and solving problems that can be related and assisted with technology. And I thank you for that. I think it's fantastic work, and I'm really impressed.
1: Well, I appreciate you, and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk about our work and to be able to present our work to your listeners. So thank you for having me here.
0: Well, you're very welcome. I'm looking forward to hearing solutions that you all come up with in the future. I'm going to try to find you online and, and follow you. So Um, I hope others do as well. So thank you all, everybody who's been listening and thank you, Sixto, for participating. It's just been a wonderful conversation and we'll be putting out our next podcast uh, in a couple of weeks or so. So look for that and we'll continue to hear about other great organizations and agencies that are doing good things for foster youth, helping them transition to adulthood successfully.